don't you love creative people? <laughs> Make stuff like that. Uh, we see most of the characters of the Christmas story there. And we're in an Advent series. As Justin said, this is week three of four. Uh, last week, we talked about, well, Advent means the coming or waiting. And we actually are celebrating one coming, and we're in the waiting for the second coming, of course, of our King, King Jesus. Um, Last week's topic was preparing the way. We talked about John the baptizer, John the Baptist, and he was preparing the way uh, for Jesus. A couple things we mentioned last week was this, that we often, uh, what was it, we often practice religion instead of preparing for his presence. So whether it's coming to a Christmas Eve service or whatever it might be, um, it might be going through the motions and it might not be preparing, preparing us for his presence or preparing to connect us with him. That's what's important. All the other stuff is pretty and nice, but that's really what's important. And so then we finished up last week with this statement, preparation always precedes his presence. So if you want God to be present, you and I have to prepare. And I don't talk about it a lot, but, you know, for Sunday morning, <laughs> even Saturday night, it'd be good to start preparing for Worship every week. Uh, God promises his presence in uh, a special way here. But for you and I to connect with him, we need to prepare our hearts. So today's topic is, is something a little bit different. And it's titled, uh, what's the title? From Obedience to Joy. From Obedience to Joy. So let's pray and we'll jump in. Father God, thank you. Uh, we thank you for this time of, this time of the year. Um, it's easy to get caught up in all the busyness, parties, and decorating, and, and, and preparing to try and uh, uh, make people uh, have a good time, help people have a good time. But really, <laughs> what we're celebrating is the most incredible event that you, of you, God, in the presence of your Son, coming down here to earth. <laughs> Not about us coming to you, but you coming to us. And... Uh, we need to do our part to connect with you. You've done all you can do to connect with us. Uh, guide this time together as we look at this, the concepts of joy and obedience. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, it's been a few years since we've had a children's Christmas play here. But going way back, and our church was pretty small back then. Naomi, wherever she is, might remember this. Um, when your kids are really small, they put you in the play, but they don't give you any lines to say. So Josh and Micah, imagine Josh and Micah being like two and four years old. Uh, they were both dressed up like lambs. Now, the funny thing was, we had a family in our church, Charlie and Bonnie Lamb. That was their names. So we would go on and tell, say, tell our kids, you're, you're Charlie and Bonnie. <laughs> uh, that's what we called them. So consequently, they didn't have any lines in the play. Now, the main characters, obviously, are, are Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Of course, Jesus is a baby, so he doesn't have any lines. Mary has lines, but if you notice, Joseph, I mean, the shepherds have lines, the, the, the kings, the three wise men have lines, but Joseph has no lines, does he? nothing. He has no lines. Now, so he doesn't verbally say anything in Scripture. We have no accounts of him saying anything. But I'd like to suggest this morning that his life speaks very loudly. 
Now, I want to talk about Jewish marriages. Back in uh, 2,000 years ago, I don't know what it is like today, but 2,000 years ago, Jewish marriages had three parts. The first part was the contract part. So that's when the two parents, probably the two dads, would get together and sign a contract saying, my son's going to marry your daughter. The kids might have never even met each other. Hard to imagine, right? But that's the first stage. Now, those of you who have daughters or granddaughters or even sons, I think maybe it'd be a good idea if we reinstituted that, right? That we get the parents, get to pick, the, pick our spouses for our kids. I don't think it's going to happen, but it does happen in some parts of the world. But that's what it did. And then the third part was the consummation part, which we would say, you know, uh, birds and the bees. You can, <laughs> the parents certainly te- hope we can tell you about that. But the interesting part is the middle part called the engagement. We would call it the engagement. <clears throat> and so after the contract was signed, there would be about a year's time where this man and woman, boy and girl, may have not even met each other, become, we would say, friends. Spend time getting to know each other. <clears throat> now, we talk about love a lot in our, our culture. We love lots of things. We love our spouse. We love pizza. We love dogs. We love cats. We love you know, sports. We love lots of different things. And that word gets kind of u- overused, obviously. The Greeks had multiple u- words for that. Uh, and then we talk about God's love, or our love for, and our love for God. God's love for us is agape, which is this completely giving love, unconditional, without limits, sacrificial. And I came across an interesting word this week. Unreasonable. Unreasonable. Now, for me, that really connects because I'm kind of a logical guy, and stuff needs to make sense to me. And so... Agape is, is unreasonable. <laughs> it's illogical. It's almost absurd, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> so they came during the engagement period, they got, they got to know each other. Now, in the Bible, people didn't fall in love and then get engaged. They got engaged and then they fell in love. You can fall in love with anybody. In fact, most of us probably here have fallen in love with more than one person in our lifetime, right? Um, So they did it the opposite way, which means love isn't a feeling. What is it? I'll put it up on the screen. Love is a choice, or love is a commitment. So our parents put us together. Let's make the best of this, so to speak, right? And that's how it worked. And that's how it's worked in most of cultures over most of history. This kind of falling in love thing is completely uh, pretty pretty new. So, during this engagement period, this year-long time, um, Mary comes to Joseph and says, sorry to tell you this, but I'm pregnant, and obviously you're not the dad because we haven't consummated this. But you don't have to worry, I haven't been with any other guy either. Uh, This is God's son. Now, I'm a guy, I don't think you have to be a guy to know when you got that response what are you going to be feeling? You're going to be feeling hurt, confused, uh, betrayed, angry. I don't know what he said. (laughs) If he yelled, I don't know if he threw something. If he said, was it the mailman or the milkman? All kinds of responses we would have in that situation. 
And I think most of us can relate to that. We've all been hurt. We've all been betrayed. And sometimes Christmas season, we talk about all the joyful songs we sang today. For some people, it's not a really joyful time. My mom's birthday would have been two days ago. And I didn't even think about it. My wife said, hey, today would have been your mother's birthday. Well, then, you know, you think about the good things about your mom. But then, you know, I think about when she died. So maybe you've lost or somebody you know has lost somebody in the past year. And always the first holidays after are really difficult. And maybe you've got, well, let me say maybe. We all have difficult people in our families that we see this time of the year. And, you know, some people get lightly or maybe even more depressed during the Christmas season. But I think we can relate uh, to Joseph and his is just a flood of emotions he must have had. It reminds me of a, a pretty famous pastor's wife, uh, Rick and Kay Warren, out in California, Saddleback. A couple of years ago, I think they had four children, not sure, but uh, one of their sons committed suicide. And uh, Kay's response was this I choose joy. In the midst of her son committing suicide, <laughs> and Rick is kind of, if you know anything about him, he said, what are you talking about? Uh, this is a pastor of a huge church, because we don't think joy in the midst of suicide, do we? And she went on to explain. Sometimes we think of, let me put that up here, suffering and joy are opposites, right? If I'm suffering, I'm not having joy, and if I'm having joy, I'm not suffering. But she said, no, they go hand in hand. And she used this illustration. You know, we normally think of, you know, it's like going up and down mountains. Joy's up here and the suffering's down here. She says, no, no, no. It's more like a train on, a, on two tracks. And one track is joy and one track is suffering. Now, what's a train going to do if you only have one? Derail. Disaster, right? And so what she's saying is joy and happiness are parts of keeping us balanced in, in life. And, and, and the concept of choosing joy just like choosing love is huge. Um, in fact, I'm going to say it this way. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is incarnational. <clears throat> happiness is what our response to what's going on around us, right? A baby is born, you're happy, right? Um, you know, if somebody gives you a gift, you're happy. You get a good report from the doctor, you're happy. Uh, you get a bad report from the doctor, you're not so happy, right? Um, you lose your job. You have some financial setback. You're, you're not happy. Happiness is, comes and goes with circumstances. In fact, happiness can, can go just like that, right? The phone ring and bam, it's gone, depending on your circumstances. Joy is incarnational. Joy is about presence, especially God, about God's presence. But it's also human presence. Have you ever been separated from a loved one for a while? And when you get back together, what, what does that bring? It doesn't bring happiness. It brings joy. So joy is incarnational. Now let's go back to that word unreasonable. <laughs> the first Christmas is first unreasonable that God would leave heaven and come down here to earth. In fact, we were watching a video in our retreat yesterday, and the pastor made this, the preacher made this comment about um, if God was worried about his reputation, he would have never left heaven and come down to earth and hang out with us, would he? 
uh, with us sinners, as the Bible says. So, completely unreasonable. And all the religions of the world are trying to get to God, and Christianity is about God coming to earth. And that's what we celebrate. Now, it's completely unreasonable for Mary, right? She was engaged to this guy, hopefully coming, choosing to love him. And all of a sudden, her world is just turned upside down. <laughs> She's pregnant. The only one we know of history that was pregnant without uh, a virgin, we call it a virgin birth. And uh, how confusing is that? And her life has to be changed forever. How unreasonable. And then for Joseph, and Joseph's who we're going to talk about today, unreasonable for him <laughs> to accept this story and then eventually become the earthly father, or I guess you call him stepdad or whatever you want to call him, uh, uh, of Jesus, the Messiah, God's son. Completely unreasonable. So we're going to read the story in Matthew that describes what happened. Now this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. Pretty straightforward. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. They're in that year engagement period. But before the marriage took place, I mean the consummation part, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, people out there really struggle with this, don't believe this. Even people in here sometimes struggle with this. My approach to any kind of miracle is if God is God, miracles aren't an issue to him, not a problem. <clears throat> but theologically, this is really important because he wasn't born with the sin that all the rest of us were born with. Uh, Joseph, her fiance, was a good man. Now, some translations use the word righteous man, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So he's a good man. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, for a Jewish man in this situation, he had basically two options, or he thought he had two options. One was he could disgrace her publicly, and what would they do to her? Stone her. So this was a, this was a, a death sentence if he was to do that. Now, we're assuming because he was a good man, or maybe because he loved her at this point, uh, he didn't want her to die, so the other legal option was for him to divorce her, because right? technically at this point, you'd have to get a divorce to, to end the engagement. So that's his choice. He figured that's his only two choices. Um, actually, as I was studying this week, they said that abortion were actually another choice back then. I didn't realize that. But to a religious Jewish couple, that wouldn't have been an option, obviously. So this was only two real options he thought he had. So this was his plan. Being a good man, a righteous man, he decided, well, I'll just uh, divorce her. And, you know, still wasn't a very good uh, future for her. <laughs> a lady pregnant with a child out of wedlock in, in that culture in her day, she would have had a tough time. But that was his choice. So then we go on. As he considered this, now we talked about how, how confusing and, 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 the, and the roller coaster emotions. He must have went through. And we've all been in those situations, right? And the scenarios run through our minds. You know, I love her and I wish we could get married, but that's not really practical. And I certainly don't want her to die. And over and over again, going through the options and trying to decide. And that's what this word considered means. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David. Even the angel has dialogue. <laughs> 
don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now notice, most of the time in Scripture, when the angel shows up, it said, don't be afraid of me, right? But here the angel says, don't be afraid to do something unreasonable, something you never even thought of, kind of outside of your box. Don't be afraid to do something unreasonable and take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Now, again, we talked about this last week. Joseph's first son was going to be named what? Joseph. (laughs) Normally, uh, but not this one. Of course, it's not his son. He's going to be named Jesus. Why the name Jesus? And he tells us what the angel says, because Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. Now, as a good Jew, Joseph was waiting for the Messiah, this person to come. Now, they thought he was going to liberate him from the Romans, uh, most, most Jews of his day, but this was going to be the Messiah they've been waiting for 700 years for, and he is going to, this child, this baby, is going to save his people from their sins, do the most important thing anybody's ever going to be able to accomplish. Then he goes on. All this All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to the prophet. This was prophesied by Isaiah also. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Not Jesus, Emmanuel. Which means what? God is with us. Again, this is is radical. God, the creator of the universe, is going to leave the glories of heaven and come down here with the limitations of a human body, beyond our comprehension to understand how humbling and limiting that would be. And then a couple more verses. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Now, it's interesting. When we get a message from God, whether it's reading a passage of Scripture or hearing a preacher talk or just some idea about God comes to our mind, what is our natural response our natural response is, eh, let me try to decide if I want to do this, right? But in reality, as a Jesus follower, no matter what Jesus, the commander, the boss, the Lord, the whatever term you want to use, the king, says, are they optional things? They're not optional things as a Jesus follower. If you're following, you follow. So this isn't, he didn't call it a command, But the scripture records it as a command. Because anything God says should be taken as a command. So he did exactly as he was told he should do or commanded to do. And he did not have sexual relationships with with her until her son was born. And he named him what? Jesus. All right, so we're going to look at three things I picked out that I think we can learn from life of Joseph that speaks loudly Especially about obedience and joy because <laughs> obedience is sometimes not reasonable, is it? In this case, it doesn't seem reasonable. And we don't always think of obeying as, as bringing least happiness, but even joy, does it? How often have we reluctantly done something? So we can first, we can look at Joseph and see that, we, and he had the choice. We can choose to be right, or we can choose to be 
righteous. Westminster Catechism says the purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Sounds good, right? But when you run into some difficulty, especially a relationship difficulty, you and your spouse are fighting, arguing. Do you feel like glorifying God and enjoying Him forever? Uh, if your boss gets on your case or some other coworker, or you lose your job or you get some serious illness, yeah, it's, it's easy to say glorify God and enjoy Him forever, but that's really not what we're doing or feel like doing in that case. So let's talk about rightness and righteousness. Rightness, kind of a weird word, I guess. Can we get that out? Rightness is justifying yourself. This is what I legally get to do. Like Joseph, I legally get to divorce her. That's the right thing to do. It's the correct thing. It's the legal thing to do. You don't get in trouble. Um, But the problem is what we could call the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And that's what kind of drives me crazy sometimes when I look at our legal system. These laws probably are good laws, but lawyers especially, I'm not picking on lawyers if you're a lawyer, but they take and twist it or go to the letter of the law and people that are obviously should be convicted go free. Because, and I don't know how else you can do it as a lawyer and a, as a judge than to go by the letter of the law. Then they try and rewrite the laws and so forth. But what's more important, the letter of the law or the spirit of the law? Obviously, it's the spirit of the law. What is the purpose of the law? Now, experts tell us that uh, Joseph may have been part of a, a, maybe actually a Pharisee, but a, a strict sect of the Pharisees, which aren't like the Pharisees we see Jesus running into. These were Pharisees that really tried to love God and love other people. Uh, kindness was kind of their uh, forte. So they were known as truly spiritual people. So if Joseph was one of these guys, uh, he would have taken his relationship with God really, really seriously. And so he would have struggled with this. And he would really want to do the righteous thing, the thing God would lead him to do, rather than just technically what the right thing would be. I, I tried to imagine this back, you know, 39 plus years during our engagement, my sitting back there, if she had come to me and said, uh, I'm sorry I have to tell you this, um, but I'm pregnant with somebody else's baby, how I would have responded don't know. It's kind of, kind of one of those situations you don't know. It certainly would have been devastating. I certainly would have felt betrayed. I would have felt hurt. But as much as I would react that way, Joseph would have reacted a hundred times that. Being a Jewish man, uh, trying to follow God, trying to follow the, uh, the law, the Torah, etc. For him, the conflict would have been huge, enormous. So, He could choose what is right and divorce her. Or as we saw, he chose what? To do the righteous thing or the thing that God led him to do. Second thing we can choose, and he had a choice, was to manage expectations or to choose to pursue God-given dreams. Now, the expectations, usually it's expectations of others. Uh, And most of us tend to be people pleasers, right? Right? And uh, it was interesting, uh, Justin mentioned Portugal. I was going to use that as an illustration this morning. Uh, Josh and Mike were about, what, three and five years old? (laughs) And uh, we felt God's calling our life to go to Portugal. 
Now, we were been in our first house for a few years. We had to sell our first house, get rid of some of, we didn't have a lot of expensive furniture, get rid of our car, uh, move to a strange place, learn another language, learn another culture. Uh, tough thing for Naomi was we took her only two grandchildren across the ocean. My mom had other grandkids, so it wasn't a big deal to her. Well, not a big deal. But, uh, uh, and so all this stuff was hard. But that was what we had to do to choose to pursue God's given dreams. Now, we could have, none of our family wanted us to go, and our church didn't want us to go. So we could either please them or pursue the dream. Now, we all have regrets from things we've done. We call those sins of commission, right? But you know, some of the biggest regrets we have are sins that we call sins of omission. Things we wish we had done that we didn't do. Things we wish we would have said we didn't say. And that's what happens when you choose to meet other people's expectations or rather to misbruing God's dream. Regrets. Now, dreams come with a cost. They always come with a cost. Can you imagine the cost of Mary and Joseph? In fact, we'll probably look at this next week, but eventually the angel comes to Joseph and says, hey, you've got to get out of here. As I said last week, most people didn't travel more than 35 miles from their home. And he said, you've got to go. I I should have looked this up. How far is it from, (laughs) from Jerusalem to Egypt? I don't know. But a lot farther than that. He said, Dan, you've got to get all the way over to Egypt so this child won't be killed. So he had a lit, left his home, left his family, left his business. He was a carpenter. Uh, we don't know what kind of sacrifices would have been involved in following this dream. Dreams always come with a cost. I say that because often when we think about following a dream, we think, hey, that's, everything's going to be great, right? <laughs> I'm following God's given dream. I guess the ultimate example would be Jesus Christ. He followed God's instruction for him all the way to the cross. Exactly. So I put it this way on your notes. The obedience is harder than the dream. I'll give you kind of a silly illustration. Um, back when I was 50, I had this dream of running the JFK, which is a 50-mile race. When I turned 50, I run 50 miles. Never ran more than 10 miles in my whole entire life. All right? Kind of a crazy dream, right? And we were outside the country actually celebrating our anniversary, so it didn't happen. But I, I couldn't let this dream go. So when I was 52, I decided to do this. Okay. <laughs> was obedience or following through on the dream harder than the dream? Hey, yeah, let me go ahead and run 50 miles. All the training and then actually running the 50 miles on that day. Now, the interesting thing about a dream is this. When the dream becomes fulfilled, when you actually do it, there's this this tremendous sense of joy. In this case, another word I could use is accomplishment. I mean, there's like one-tenth of one percent of people that have ever ran farther than a marathon. And you're in that category. Now, when it's over, the first thought is, I'm never going to do this again. (laughs) 
all right? But the joy that comes from fulfilling the dream, and I've done it now 13 times, obedience, following the dream is always harder. It always comes with a cost. The third thing, we can choose to be in a place of retreat or choose to be in a place of pursuit. When your kids were growing up, did you ever have your kids come to you, especially the ornery ones, and say, hey, I didn't do anything wrong today. I wasn't, I was good, I didn't do anything bad today. And so, what is their mentality? It's not about, well, hey, what did you do good today? <laughs> you know, did you do good in school today? Or did you help somebody today? No, I, I didn't do anything bad today. I didn't get in trouble today. So they're living in retreat. They're living in, for a better word, fear, right? Fear I'm going to do something wrong. I got to make sure I don't do anything bad. On the other hand, how do you want your kids to live? You want them to live fearless. You want to live them in freedom, right? Freedom, hopefully, to do what's good, but freedom. Now, as I said earlier, we all have difficult family members, And what is your approach to them, especially in the holiday season? And often, if you're like me, I just don't want to rustle any feathers. Let's just get along. This is just for a couple hours one day, and I might not see them again for another year. But you're living in fear. You're living in retreat. Wouldn't it be, and isn't it much better to first pray about that situation, that relationship, Funny thing is, when you start praying about a situation, do you live in retreat? No. (laughs) You don't. God's going to say, hey, you need to make this relationship better. Um, Talk about Wally a lot, our neighbor. Actually, we saw him quite a bit lately, but um, behaving before we met Wally, you can imagine what people were telling us about him. This is some weird guy, you know, you know, you did basically we were telling us you don't want to have a relationship with this guy. And so of course we met him. And uh he had had some bad experiences with a independent Baptist preacher in Boonesboro. <laughs> you can imagine. And his neighbor on the other side is a very strict Catholic. He calls him the arch uh, Bishop of Washington County. That's, that's his name for him. So this guy would say, oh, abortions are horrible, and they would argue about abortion, and, you know, I'm probably against abortion as much as his other neighbor is, but am I going to argue with Wally about that? Not unless I want to live in retreat. So, of course, over these years, we prayed about a relationship with Wally, and, I, and we have a relationship with him now. And we can have theological discussions without him getting angry or me getting angry. And we can disagree about abortion and other things. Why? Because if we, we didn't live in a place of retreat, my wife and I. He didn't like women either. Another thing. Uh, but my wife has won him over, you can imagine. <laughs> feeds him, feeds him. That, help, that helps. But anyway. <laughs> uh, we live in, in a place of pursuit of righteousness, if you will. A pursuit of hopefully this guy is going to get a closer and closer connected we just say the living God. So back to our, well, back to you. <laughs> um, is there somebody in your life that you're living in retreat? Is there some 
place that you're not, some place you're not, or dream you're not pursuing. And back to our theme for the day, joy and obedience. Joy is not based on our circumstances. It's not. Have you ever obeyed and have been difficult and still had joy? In fact, when we obey, we have joy. Whether it's something difficult or something to celebrate. Uh, let me use this illustration. Um, most of you know our daughter-in-law died last year. And anytime I'm a pastor with, when there's death involved, grieving process, you don't know what to say to people, do you? You can say a lot of things to make the situation worse. There's not much you can say to make it better. What really makes it better is what? Your presence, Right? That you're there and you cry together and you hug and just the fact of the presence and there can be a, there's a sense of joy and presence even in the midst of tremendous grief. So does God want to connect with you? Does God want to connect with everybody? Yeah, that's his desire. That's why Jesus came to earth. That's why this baby Jesus was born that we celebrate. So that Mankind can connect, that he can be that save us from our sins, because that's what we need to be able to connect with God. And we all can remember times when we connected with God and brought us joy. Some of those times were good times. Some of those times were really, really difficult times. So I went in with this this morning and just asked you, what may God be asking you to do that, for a better word, is unreasonable? And you know what the neat thing about unreasonable is? When you get to the place of unreasonable, the supernatural happens. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you would uh, do the unreasonable thing of leaving heaven, coming down here to hang out with us. Again, we can't comprehend how unreasonable that would be. But when we understand love or agape, actually it's the only option is to do the unreasonable thing. To do whatever we can do what is best for the one that is loved, in this case, us. You're not only willing and able, but I believe enthusiastically came to earth and suffered and died to save us from our sins so we could be connected with you. You loved your creation that much. God, we live a life of choices, especially in this country. We seem to have more than most people in the world. Choices of spouse, choices of actions, choices of what to do with our money, all kinds of choices. But when you speak, when we get a message from you, when we get a dream from you, they're not optional. Not if we're going to be a Jesus follower. And our goal isn't to do the right thing. It might be okay, it might be right, it might be legally right. But is it pursuing that relationship with you? Is it 
pursuing connectedness with you. Because in presence is where joy comes. Presence of our loved ones here on earth and our presence with you, God. That's one of the reasons worship is so fantastic. And that's why worship brings us joy. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you love us so unreasonably. In Jesus' name, amen.